Coming up on the talk show, we have an action-packed episode. Major League Baseball is in a lockout. I got you covered on all the details, everything you need to know there. NFL, I have Week 13 preview, Week 12 recap, and my top 10 teams going into Week 13. I have the quarterly review, what we've seen so far in the NBA through the first quarter of the season. I even threw in some hockey talk. And of course, Antonio Brown has been suspended for three games by the Bucks or the NFL, I should say. I did not cover that. That dropped as I was finishing recording the episode. Of course, everything else is all coming up next on the talk show. Stick around. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the talk show, episode 54. We have a lot to cover today. It's been a while since I've been on here. We had the holiday weekend. I had tons of family over. Um, so that was busy. Couldn't record then. And obviously, if you were following along what I did last week, I went on some adventures, basketball game, Dave Chappelle show. I went to UBS Arena to see my Rangers play against the Islanders. And I do want to touch on that at some point in the podcast because that was really fun. Um, and also, I was sick at the beginning of this week. I wanted to record sometime earlier this week, but I've been sick for the last few days. Hope it's nothing serious. Um, I went to the doctor. He didn't seem too concerned. So Hopefully, I'm coming back to myself. So if my voice is a little bit off, uh, you'll understand. But um, there's a lot to talk about because two weeks alone of the NFL season is a ton to talk about. And I haven't spoken since two games ago. And then if you throw on top of that, the NBA, we're at the quarter mark in the NBA season. A lot has happened. It's now time to say, okay, who's legit? Who's not legit? Which teams are for real? Which teams have shown that they can actually consistently play well uh, over the first 25 or so games of the season. Um, Hockey, there's been a a lot going on. I want to give some love to my Rangers, like I said. And maybe most of all, weirdly, is baseball during the offseason. We don't talk about baseball during that much during the offseason, although last year I did. I had a bunch of guests on. But baseball, obviously, with the controversy going on now and the free agency frenzy that we saw heading into the CBA deadline, there's a lot to talk about, especially today with Major League Baseball. So I will get to all those things. But I want to start with the NBA because, like I said, it is the quarter season mark kind of. And we could kind of start talking about who are the best teams in the NBA. And really, the Eastern Conference is what stands out to me because, look, there's going to be six playoff teams. There's going to be four teams that make the play-in tournament at the bottom of the uh, playoffs, I guess. So 10 teams really make the playoffs. And there's 13 teams right now in the Eastern Conference that they're not just bunched together because... They're all kind of mediocre. This is the first time in a long time that we've seen an Eastern Conference where there's really good teams. And I think it's one through 13 are really, really good. And even the two or three bad teams in the Eastern Conference aren't that bad. They have a lot of good young talent. That's if you look at Cleveland, if you look at the Magic. But the other 13 teams are really good. So I want to just go through those 13 teams in the Eastern Conference and talk about what we've seen from them so far. Um, So I'm going to start at the top, going to start with the Brooklyn Nets. And obviously, they're number one because of two guys, Kevin Durant and James Harden. And when you have two of the top five players in the league, it makes a huge difference. And we saw what happened the other night against the New York Knicks. James Harden was absolutely insane in the first half. And then the second half came along and Kevin Durant took over. When those two guys are clicking that well, when we could see James Harden play the way he played 
in Houston, you're reminded of what a superstar he is. It's a different level. And obviously, we know that that team, when everyone's right, when everyone's healthy, they're unbeatable. The question is, will they all buy in? Will they all be healthy at the right time? But without that question, they're probably the best team in the league. The Washington Wizards are the number two seed in the Eastern Conference. And while I don't think they'll remain there, no one thinks they're going to be a number two seed season long. No one thinks that they're going to sustain this type of success and make it to the playoffs as a two seed in the Eastern Conference. But at the same time, we've seen them play really well. They absolutely fleeced the Lakers in that trade. I think that's obvious to everyone who saw that trade. The Lakers totally lost out. Now they have players who play defense. They play both sides. They are bought into a team system. They're not. They're used to being played with LeBron and all that stuff. No, now they could buy in as a team. It's not all about one guy. They could buy in, play together. Spencer Dinwiddie has been a great pickup for them from Brooklyn. And Bradley Beal is now the superstar surrounded by really good pieces. And that's why he's going to stay. And if you look at where Washington was a couple of years ago, first with John Wall, then Russell Westbrook, the fact that they've gotten this franchise into this position is really impressive by the Washington Wizards organization. And they are a really good franchise this year, and they're a really good team. And I expect them to be in the playoffs this season and maybe make a little noise. The number three team right now in the Eastern Conference is the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, you could say the Milwaukee Bucks are even better than the number three team. Uh, they might be the number one team. They won the championship. They might be the best team in the league. When was the last time a team that won the championship last year could be even better this year? And I think that's the case. Giannis is so confident right now. We know what Middleton can do. What Giannis did the other night with the game winner, and obviously it looks like his, his uh, jump shot has improved a little bit. His free, throw, his free throw shooting has improved a little bit. So you can't rule this team out. Even if Brooklyn is fully healthy and fully bought in, I still think Giannis and the Bucks, Giannis surrounded by all those shooters, can win a title and can beat Brooklyn. They're the number three team in the Eastern Conference right now, and there's no questioning. They are really legit. Number four is the Chicago Bulls. This is a team that I kind of had question marks about coming into the season. I wasn't sure how DeRozan and Lonzo and all these guys would play together. I wasn't sure if they made the right moves. I didn't think that Zach Levine was a real superstar. I thought he was a house of highlights player, good player, good stats, bad team type guy. But no, he's proven he's really good. His defense is another level. This team's defense all around, the athleticism that they have, Lonzo Ball's defense, the fact that he doesn't need the ball in his hands in order to facilitate for everyone else on the team and make things happen on offense for them is really impressive. And DeMar DeRozan has gone to a new level. You see, when the league overcorrects on something, you kind of have to fall back to our, towards a middle ground. So the league totally went away from the mid-range jumper. They overcorrected. They went to only three-pointers and only layups. It was the Daryl Morey theory in Houston, right? Well, now nobody shoots mid-range jumpers anymore. So when you have a guy like DeMar DeRozan who realized, wow, I've been a great mid-range jumper shooter my whole life, and now I could shoot the mid-range jumper off the dribble, only it's more valuable because nobody else is doing it it all of a sudden becomes even more valuable than it was in the first place. And you're the only guy in the league that's doing it. Obviously, Kevin Durant is still doing it. But, but those two guys are the guys who are doing it at such a high level. You could probably throw Chris Paul and uh, Devin Booker out from Houston, uh, from, sorry, from Phoenix out in there as well. But that's a really impressive skill that he's gotten even better at. And the last guy on that team I want to talk about is Alex Caruso. Because Alex Caruso is kind of a caricature. If he didn't look like Caillou with a headband, we'd probably be talking about him as a really good, really impactful player. But because he looks like that, everyone kind of talks about him. Oh, it's so cute. Look, that guy dunked. No, that guy's a really good basketball player. And he's either coming off their bench as a six man or maybe starting, but not one of their superstar players. But he's an extremely valuable basketball player on an NBA team. 
on a championship caliber team. This guy can play defense. This guy shoots threes. This guy can dunk. He has athleticism. He's a passer. He can facilitate for the offense. What this guy does on every facet of the game is really impressive. And Alex Caruso needs to start getting some more respect and talked about like that. And the Chicago Bulls team can continue to ride that to be really good. The number five seed in the Eastern Conference is the Miami Heat. Now, another team that I didn't really buy into. I didn't think Kyle Lowry would be the guy that you really want to go after. We know he's got the heart of a champion, but he's kind of got the belly of an old champion, if you know what I mean. So I didn't think at this stage of his career, that would be a guy that you really want to buy into. And Bam out of bio now is hurt. So who knows? Jimmy Butler has had problems with teammates in the past, but it looks like with Pat Riley, they've all bought in and the shooters that they have around them. Um, everyone's looked really good. Everyone's really taken a step forward on this team. And it looks like this team might be able to take it to the next level also. And that's already five really good teams in the Eastern Conference. I mentioned the Cavs before as one of the teams that I thought was lower. They're a 12 and 10 team. Have you seen Evan Mobley play? That guy is ridiculously good at basketball. That guy is so entertaining. He's so talented. And when you look at that team play, you realize why that they're really impressive. They just have a bunch of young guys who have bought in. Like I said, sometimes you have that in the league where there are just so many guys who are really good and there are guys who buy into a system. And sometimes that's all it takes in the regular season to win games. Do I think this team is winning a championship or going to a deep playoff run? Probably not. But at the same time, this is a team that has bought in and has some really good young talent. And that's going to carry them a long way, especially during the regular season. Right now, they're the number six seed in the Eastern Conference. Number seven is a team that made it all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. And it looks like they've taken a little step back. And there are some concerns that maybe there are too many mouths to feed. Look, I talked a couple of weeks ago about how valuable it is to have so many guys who are these stretch four type guys with John Collins and all those guys, Trey, uh, Herder and all those guys in Atlanta. Now, Trey Young is still one of the best players in the league. And that's what's really impressive. Trey Young, I mean, He's a special type of talent, and that's why this team is still a real threat. They'll have to figure it out with all the other guys and how you can make those pieces work together. But again, this is the seventh team right now in the Eastern Conference. That's really, really good. We saw them all the way go, go all the way to the conference finals. I know injuries played a role in that last year, but Trey Young is a monster. Trey Young is an assassin. He's one of those guys that just really gets it and can really turn it on when it comes to the playoffs. You should look out for that team. The number eight seed in the Eastern Conference is the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics right now are 12 and 10. And while they have issues to work out, we've talked about this. They've stayed afloat. They haven't been just awful and totally fallen apart despite the issues that they've had as a team. And what that means is that now if they can actually figure it out with Tatum and Brown, again, they've kept themselves in a position where they can go on a run and be one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference like we'd expect them to be. Now, what's scary about this so far, we haven't gotten to some teams who are still really good. The Hornets are number nine. Now, the Hornets, I saw them play in person and it kind of bothered me. Lonzo Ball could be one of the best players in the league. We saw that game tying three he had against Milwaukee was just absolutely insane. Against Washington, when I went to that game last week, he had moments where he could take over the game, completely take over, and it wasn't even close. The guy was unbelievable, unstoppable. He'd make a crazy pass, a crazy play, a crazy shot, a crazy layup. Just the ability to get inside, to break down a defense is unbelievable. And then he'd just take a few possessions off and, you know, throw a pass behind his back that goes out of bounds or try and dribble between his legs or a spin move or something stupid. If the guy can have his head screwed on his shoulders right, 
he could be one of the best players in the league. I just don't know who's going to tell him off and who's going to tell him, hey, you have to be better than this. And maybe it's Michael Jordan because Michael Jordan is there on the sideline watching him play. And I think it might be up to him to tell this guy, hey, dude, lose all the cool stuff, lose all the fancy stuff, really make it happen. And that will take you to the next level. I don't know. The next is the New York Knicks. My Knicks are 11 and 10. They've obviously had a controversial week, so I don't want to talk about them yet. I'll get to them in a little bit later, but I still think they're a really talented team. They're still better than the team that made it to the playoffs last year as the number four seed in the Eastern Conference. Maybe the conference got a little stronger as well. I do think the conference did, but I still think they'll be a playoff team, and I don't even think they'll be a playing team. I'd like to see them as a top six seed in the Eastern Conference. Another team that's definitely going to be in the top six, in my opinion, is the Philadelphia 76ers. They're the 11 seed. I told you there's 13 of these. Joel Embiid is too good. Seth Curry has taken a huge step. Tobias Harris is too good. They'll figure out the story with Ben Simmons, I hope. I don't know if they trade him or what happens. They're not going to solve someone else's problem in the Eastern Conference, and no one else in the Eastern Conference is going to solve their problem. So I don't know how that works itself out. But a guy like Tyrese Maxey taking a huge step, he's another player who's just really good this year and is on a new level this year. And so seeing a guy like that take another step is really impressive. And so I'd expect them to be better than an 11 seed in the Eastern Conference this year. This year. Number 12 is the Toronto Raptors, and number 13 is the Pacers. We saw the Pacers could be actually pretty good last year, and we know the Raptors have some young talent. They've gotten some reinforcements. So like I said, there's 13 teams in the Eastern Conference. Maybe those last two, not so great. Maybe Cleveland, that's number six seed now, will fall off a little bit. So maybe we really do have the 10 playoff and play-in teams. But like I said, there's a lot of talent, and it's really, really deep in the Eastern Conference. In the Western Conference, on the other hand, I think it's totally set. I think the 10 teams that are right now in the top 10 spots are going to be the 10 teams that do make the playoffs, even if it's not in this order. You have the Suns, the Warriors, the Jazz, the Mavericks, the Grizzlies, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Blazers, the the Timberwolves, and the Nuggets as the top 10 teams. Behind them, Kings, Spurs, Thunder, those teams are not making the playoffs most likely this year. And so those 10 teams are really going to be the teams... It's just a matter of seeding, and the bottom four teams right now, the Clippers, Trailblazers, Timberwolves, and Nuggets, those four teams are good teams. They're going to want to stay out of that four-team play-in situation, and who's going to fall into that situation? Will it be the Lakers for the second straight year? Will it be the Grizzlies for the second straight year? Mavericks, Jazz, who knows? Suns and Warriors, probably not, which brings me to my next point, which is the Suns and the Warriors. The Warriors and the Suns, their game the other night, we saw why those are the best two teams in the league. And even without Devin Booker, the Suns were incredible. And what's amazing is I think Devin Booker is better than he's been in his career. I think he's taken it to a new level. I think, like I said with the Bucs, I think the Suns are a better team than they've been in the past, which is so unbelievable. And you talk about guys and shooting mid-range jumpers, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, those are two other guys. Really insane with the mid-range jumper. Those are some incredibly talented athletes. It seems like they almost gelled more this year after the finals run. And Chris Paul is doing more to keep this team together and control what this team does than last year, which is even more amazing because they were already incredible and a championship caliber team last year. They went up 2-0 in the finals before Giannis turned into an unstoppable force. Um, So that's really impressive to see. And the Warriors, can they keep this up? 18-3 and at this point. They were 18-2. and Absolutely stupid. We know that Klay Thompson's going to come back. That'll make the team even better. 
And what this team does, what's really impressive, obviously they have one of the best players in the world in Steph Curry, but if everyone could just watch this team and how they constantly move around and constantly work on offense and they don't stop moving around, including Steph Curry, yes, they get all the open threes, but even more impressive, they get so many open layups. They get so many shots that are just right at the rim, wide open because of all the movement and all the back cuts and all the back screens that we see on their team. And that's what makes this team impressive. And what it's what any NBA team can realistically do. And there's no reason why an NBA team shouldn't be doing this as it would significantly, significantly improve their team just by running around a little bit the way Steph Curry does. Um, as far as LeBron, just go away. That situation with... Um, I, I want to say I kept messing up his name. Was it Isaiah Simmons or whatever his name is um, on Detroit? Look, I think if that guy didn't get as upset as he did as at LeBron, then the league would have ignored it, which makes me sad because the league would have just ignored an obvious hit to the face. And if you listen to the Lakers broadcast on that, which is the broadcast that was going around that went viral on Twitter, social media, Instagram, whatever, it was so pathetic how they were saying, oh, that's inadvertent. He obviously hit him in the face. And then LeBron totally gets excused, doesn't have to talk to the media after the game. What other player doesn't have to talk to the media after a play like that? So, look, I understand LeBron is one of the most talented players ever. And I really enjoy like watching him. And I love when I could just sit down and watch him play better than anyone else. But I can't because he all this extra stuff that goes on, him kicking out fans out of the arena the next night, and then he does a stupid dance after he hits the three. Come on, act like you've been there and act like you're a pro. I, I just I don't understand it. And it's not even it's just funny now because the team's not good. Look, if the Lakers were playing really well and you know LeBron was leading them, then it would be one thing, but he's not anymore. The team's not playing well. He's not leading them. So I don't even know what's going on. Um Another thing I want to talk about, because I said I'd mention this when I talked about DeRozan mid-range jumper, is Kevin Durant's mid-range jumper. And it's gone from, oh, wow, that's a really good mid-range jumper to, okay, this is an unstoppable move. There are a few guys who have moves that in sports that were like, oh, my God, this is a signature thing that this is the one thing you do that just makes total difference that it can't be stopped ever. Think about Mariano Rivera's cutter. He threw one pitch over and over again, just that stupid cutter. And no one could hit him. Or you talk about Alex Ovechkin in his office when he's on the left circle or right around that area and they're on the power play or even not on the power play. And he just sits there, waits for the slap shot opportunity and then lets it rip and nobody can stop it. If it's on net, it's going in. The same thing with Kevin Durant's jumper off the dribble on the baseline or at the top of the key. It's unbelievable when he fakes the three, the three takes two steps. There were some times against the Knicks the other night where he had Randall or Toppin right in his face with their hands up and they're seven feet tall. Also they're six foot nine, six foot 10. It doesn't matter. He's taller. His release is high when he does it on the baseline is absolutely insane. He's driving towards the baseline, almost away from the basket. And then in one motion, he turns and shoots towards the basket and he hits it almost every single time. It's the most unbelievable thing. I think it's the most unstoppable play in the NBA and it's just a jumper. It's just a pull-up jumper off the dribble. And I think it's something we haven't seen in years. And it's so incredibly unstoppable because it sets up everything else. It obviously sets up his three-pointer because you have to make sure that you don't jump for that three-pointer because he might dribble by you. Um, it sets up, obviously, a drive to the rim or a pass off of it. So I think that's one of the most impressive plays in basketball. Let's quickly talk about my Knicks. Um, after the game, Julius Randle complained about the fouls not being called about against him. And what Shaq 
said after the game because if you watch the game on TNT, which you know I love the TNT crew, I hate, I don't like the TNT broadcast because I hate Reggie Miller. Reggie Miller cannot do Knicks games anymore. I'm sorry. I didn't like him when he was with Marv Albert either because I didn't think he was that good. But now it just it's even worse because he can't do Nick games. This is the second time I've had to listen to him do a Nick game this year. And he obviously just hates the Knicks and I get it. And he talks about the players like they're his friends. And so the players that he is friends with and he thinks are cool, he talks up and the players that he isn't friends with and he thinks aren't cool. He, he doesn't talk up. I, I can't, I just, I can't handle Reggie Miller right now, but um, that's my Reggie Miller rant. Uh, aside from that, I do love Kevin Harlan. Who's the main broadcaster on that crew. Um, and I obviously lo- love er- Ernie Johnson. If you didn't read my article that I wrote on LinkedIn on about early- Ernie Johnson, uh, you should definitely go read that. It's really impressive. The guy's is just a special guy. Shaq, Chuck, Kenny, they're all awesome also. And it's just unscripted what TNT, what Turner Sports has been able to do with the NBA for years. And now with hockey, they've been able to do it. And I think it's a reason for fans who are just casual fans to start really watching hockey would be uh, the NHL on TNT and the incredible job they've done. So... I think you should definitely check that out. They make the sport special and they're, they're different than any other studio show. And after the game, Shaq, he goes, hey, put the camera on me. Um, I got to say this, Julius, you're right, but uh, you can't say that. Nobody cares. Play better. And he's right. Like, he's like, look, you're a bully. You're a big guy. You're not going to get as many fouls called on you. But don't no one. No one's going to cry for you. Don't complain. Look. The James Harden travel was much more egregious than not calling fouls on Julius Randle, I think. Um, the fact that the Knicks went down 14-0, the Nets went on a 14-0 run to start the second quarter, or the second half rather, that's way more egregious than the fact that Julius Randle wasn't getting fouls called on him. So you want to look at reasons why they lost by two points in that game. Look at those two reasons. Was Mitchell Robinson's block foul at the end weak? Yeah, it was weak. Were there a couple other weak fouls that the Nets got called and the Knicks wouldn't have gotten on the other end? Yes, that's true. But there were other things, there were other factors in that game that could have helped you win the game and you didn't. So don't go back and blame those things that are external to what you can do about it and then not fix the things that you can do about it because of that. That's my message to the Knicks. Earlier in the week, obviously, Kemba Walker was essentially benched. He's taken out of the rotation. And don't trade him. Don't panic. It's a minutes thing. There's 240 minutes in a basketball game, and Tibbs had to make a move. That's all I got to say about that. I'm glad Tibbs made a move. I still love Kemba. Look, He's a security blanket. If one of the guys goes down quickly, rows someone, he'll get minutes back. It's just a matter of 240 minutes and how many minutes you can give to small guards. All right, I'm going to come back with baseball stuff in a second. Stay tuned. Some sort of combination of that Shaq imitation and my uh, sickness, I guess, really wrecked my voice at the end over there. So I had to take a quick break. But um, yeah, that was really my point on the Knicks. If you wanted to finish it up, you could... Just say that, look, the Knicks were in a spot that they had to make a move because they just weren't starting games well. And obviously, not starting second halves well. And that didn't, that continued, meaning they are still not starting second halves well against the Nets. But you had to make a move. And I think it's smart on Tibbs' part that he made a move. Look, one way or another, you're going to have to coach this team no matter who the players are. And the players love Kemba. The city loves Kemba. Kemba loves the city. I'm, that's why I'm saying don't trade him yet. But um, at this point, you had to make a move. All right, let's get to Major League Baseball and what we've seen so far. It's been crazy, and the new CBA obviously is not in place. It expired last night, and so now we are in a lockout, which essentially means the MLB owners are locking the players out from playing 
baseball. They're not allowed to play. They're not allowed to have any activity. They're not allowed to be in the facilities. A guy like Jamison Tyone, who's rehabbing from an injury and is going through rehab with the Yankees doctors, can't use the facility and can't use the doctors to do that. That's could be detrimental to his um, rehab process. So something like that is something you definitely want to keep an eye on. I wrote a whole piece for League of Justice Sports, which uh, is a great website. I just wrote a whole piece for them on this. So if you want to go check that out there, it's definitely worth reading. And I did a little video clip with that as well, just explaining exactly what went on in baseball. Essentially, what's going on and what we've seen so far is the players don't want to move to sign a new collective bargaining agreement. And again, everyone likes to side with the players on this because we're fans. We're fans of the players. We don't see the owners. We know they get all the money. They take the tons of money on the the TV and radio, and they take money from our tickets, and they take money from our jersey sales and all these things. Meanwhile, the players are our heroes. They're our superstars. They're the guys that we love. They're the guys that we grow up idolizing. They're the guys that we have posters of. We have their jerseys hanging behind me. And by the way, shout out Johnny Lazarus. I'll show you out again a little bit later when I talk about Chris Kreider, who's behind me. But um, uh, I was looking to upgrade my studio a little bit uh, when I was doing that video for League of Justice. And so uh, I took a page from uh, Johnny Lazarus' Lazarus's book. He has two great podcasts. One is The Locker Room and the other is Believe in Rangers podcast. Um. So if you listen to his podcast or you watch his podcast, you see he's always got uh, jerseys hanging behind him. I wanted to dress this up a little bit. Haven't done a great job. So if you're watching on uh, on YouTube or Instagram, if you see this clip, you could see that there's some stuff hanging behind me now. If you're listening on, a, you're wondering what I'm talking about. So uh, definitely check it out. Look at me on uh, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff, and you'll see what I'm talking about. But um, anyway, like I was saying, these are guys we idolize. These are guys we look up to. These are the guys we love. And so when they're, you know, changing their profile pictures to a blank face because the league took all their pictures down from Major League Baseball's website, and when they're complaining about their rehab assignments and not being able to work out and get ready for the season, yeah, we tend to take the player's side and we look at the billionaire owners and we say, well, look, you guys are billionaires. The the players themselves are millionaires. So let's not forget that. So let's not feel bad for the millionaires. But when you're talking about millionaires versus billionaires, you kind of feel more bad for the millionaires, I guess. But so far, Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred, who I never like to side with, have put out a whole list of things that they've tried to do to make this work and what they try to have. And they're, I guess demands or they're what they want to have in the new CBA. And the players haven't put anything like that out. They just said the, the league is being unreasonable. Now they're locking us out. This is a power move. They're just trying to force us to make it a decision that we don't want to make. This sounds like the two sides could not be further apart. Um, Jeff Passan talked about the chasm between the two sides that even when they came to the agreement five years ago to renew this CBA that was in place for the last five years, they said at the time, this is the last time we're doing this. This is not happening again. So obviously, there's a huge gap between the two sides, and I don't know when it'll be settled. And it doesn't sound like it's going to be settled anytime soon. And again, this is something the league can't afford. The baseball's been in a decline for the last 10 years. How could you have this happen to your league now? How could you have a situation where everyone's arguing and you're not having a game? It's just more negative things to look at. And another story came out that they were using two different balls during the games last year, not telling the teams which balls they were using. And so, you know, they were basically manipulating the outcome to an extent of games. I mean, the amount of scandals and different things that have happened right under the nose of Rob Manfred. And I think he happens to be right in this situation. And this letter that he put out happens to make sense. But still, that's not the point. The point is, it's just another thing. And baseball, you have to work this out. You have to have some sense of your game and, and, and your image. 
and just suffer some, you know, look in the mirror for a second and see what you look like to other people and try and understand that you have to change. And the players are part of that. Also, the owners are part of that. Everyone has to come together again. I can only speak to the player side. I'm trying to get as much information as I can as what the players do want. So right now the owners, I have to side with them, even though it's not something I want to do. It's just something I have to do. One owner I'm not siding with is Hal Steinbrenner. He was not willing to spend a penny or make a move before he knew what the new CBA was. And this guy is running the Yankees like an old age home, essentially. He's running it like a business that he's just trying to milk as much money out of it as possible. He doesn't care if the body dies. He doesn't care if the care is good. He doesn't care if people appreciate it, if the fans like it. Too many metaphors right now. But the point is... He doesn't care about anything but his bottom line, and it's pathetic. And they talked after the season about how this is unacceptable. We are not happy how this season went, blah, blah, blah. Big changes are coming. And so far, the biggest change is that our new third base coach is Luis Rojas. Really, that's the big change? That's what we're doing? Corey Seager, gone. Max Scherzer, one of my favorite pitchers ever. The guy who I really wanted, gone. Justin Verlander, gone. What what are we doing? I thought they were going to try try and sign Trevor Simeon and be like, hey, this is our stopgap shortstop. And I'll be like, you know what? Okay, I get it. He's also gone. Even he's gone. And now we've hit the deadline and there's no moves. Who knows when the next time moves are going to be able to be made? And they're just sitting there idly. And we're talking about Aaron Hicks again as our center fielder. The Mets have a better team than the Yankees at this point. I don't think that's questionable with Kettle Marte. I think they got Starling Marte. Sorry. Starling Marte and they got Mark Hanna. What, what are we doing, Yankees fans? Or really just the Yankees team, what are they doing at this point? Do they think the fans are dumb? I don't think they think the fans are dumb. I just think they don't care about the fans. They don't want the fans anymore. They've heard the fans screaming for the last few years. So they know the fans aren't stupid. They know the fans aren't fooled by what's going on. I think they just don't want the fans anymore. They want fans who are going to sit there and clap politely and say, good job, Garrett, after he gives up seven runs in two innings. They want fans who are going to go, Nice try, Giancarlo, after he strikes out with the bases loaded on a pitch that was four feet outside the zone. I don't know. Something needs to change with the Yankees. I don't want to spend a penny on them next year. I'll go to Mets games. I'll watch Mets games. I don't care. I love watching DeGrom. I love watching Scherzer. I'm still a fan. I, I, that's why I care, because I'm a fan. But it's pathetic. Anyway, that's my Yankee rant. Um, Aaron Hicks is just the poster boy for all this, because they're like, well, Aaron Hicks is going to come back, and they talked about this last year also. Well, you know, if we had Aaron Hicks, um, it would be a lot better because Aaron Hicks, switch hitter, good defense. This is something that we're really lacking. Aaron Hicks was awful when he played at the beginning of the year last year. Awful. And his defense was even worse. We talk about him as a good defender. When? Four or five years ago? He had a good arm. He was had great range. He's become lazy in the outfield. We've seen him drop random fly balls that are lazy fly balls, easy fly balls to catch we've seen him drop. His arm looks burnt, and he was totally lost at the plate. Couldn't do a thing. That's the guy who's supposed to be saving us? Pathetic. Even the Tampa Bay Rays are spending money, so the Yankees, I really mean it. They're the fourth best team in their division today. Um, the Rays just signed Wander Franco to a huge contract, 11 years, $182 million, a huge extension, and maybe it's foreshadowing that there might be the end of arbitration or a salary floor, any of those things that might be in the new CBA. But um, more importantly, I think this is really important for the sport. I think a team that historically hasn't spent a lot spending um, just shows other teams that even if you're really good, we're a team that made it to the World Series two years ago. We were really good last year again, and we still felt like we need to spend more. 
that shows other teams that it's a good thing to spend and it's important to spend on your team. So I think that's good for the league. Um, and it's good for the young players. It's good for the Rays. It's good for Wander Franco, obviously. All right, football. All right, I've already been talking for about a half hour. And so <laughs> there's still a lot to cover in the NFL. I really got to start having a podcast at least once a week or twice a week. And I know the last couple of weeks have been crazy. So um, yeah, I got to get back on that, right? The good news is that while a bunch of crazy stuff have happened in the NFL over the last couple of weeks, nothing's really changed. We still have so many unanswered questions. It feels like every team is six and five or even the good teams have question marks surrounding them. Um, if you look at the Baltimore Ravens, I went to that game. The Browns might have an, an answer that nobody else has, and it's that Baker Mayfield is not the answer. I thought they should have brought in Case Keenum. Look, Lamar Jackson threw four picks in that game. And Lamar Jackson, I think, is, I mean, I don't know. One play, he looks like the best player on the field. The next play, he looks so awful. He's just throwing it directly to a linebacker. It's ridiculous. Um, and Baker was somehow even worse. So if you're the Browns, you have that question answered. I thought they'd be a good case study as to who doesn't give the huge contract to the quarterback. I don't think we've ever seen a player who has this many commercials and is simultaneously this bad. But Baker Mayfield... He's not the answer at quarterback, I don't think. So I think the Browns should start really thinking about looking elsewhere for the quarterback. They have a really talented team. Maybe they can pick up Aaron Rodgers or whoever becomes available, even if it's um, Russell Wilson in a trade. Although I think Sierra is going to dictate where he goes. And so that's his wife. I don't think she's going to want to go to Cleveland. Although, hey, uh, maybe they have a really good uh, commercial game there because obviously... Uh, Baker Mayfield's done pretty well there as far as advertising and commercials. So maybe Russell Wilson can sign some new uh, uh, commercial deals if he moves to Cleveland. That's really the only answer that's been answered. Other than that, if you think about it, you get a gut check win from the Chargers who tried to blow the game against Pittsburgh last week. And then they come back this week and they absolutely suck against Denver. So do we know any answers about the Chargers? Are they any better than we thought they were two weeks ago? Probably not. Are they worse? I don't know. We, we were feeling pretty iffy about them as it is. They're number six and five team. The team who had a bye week last week is the Chiefs. They had a big week the week before, but didn't look that great. They looked okay. And then last week they have a bye. So just by virtue of everyone else looking bad, they ultimately look better. So maybe the Chiefs are good again. Um, I think Arizona might be the actual best team in the NFC, but we haven't seen Kyler Murray in a month. So like they've looked good. And now I just got the notification that Kyler and DeAndre Hopkins, they're all coming back. That's great. That's really good for them. But we haven't seen this guy. This is now, what, the second straight year that we know that he's been injury prone a little bit. So who knows what's going to happen with Kyler and if he could stay on the field and if he could make it through four rounds of the playoffs to a Super Bowl run. I don't know if he can do that. Um, a big question for the Green Bay Packers is do they need a kicker? Look, I know the Green Bay Packers are probably the best team in the league and they're probably the most well-rounded team in the league, but they might actually need a kicker. If you look at them and the problems that Mason Crosby has had this year, it should be a legitimate question and concern for this team moving forward. A team that really otherwise doesn't have that many flaws. Um, another <laughs> another thing that's kind of funny is Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is the best quarterback ever on 1 p.m. Like, how did he beat the Packers last week? I, I knew it. I just knew going into the game. He, he's 1 p.m. He's the 1 p.m. master. He If the game's at 1 o'clock, he's always incredible. The second you move it a little bit, 4 o'clock game, he loses to San Francisco. But a one o'clock game, he beats the Packers. I don't even know how that happens, but Kirk Cousins is the greatest quarterback. If they played every single playoff game in a Super Bowl at 1 p.m., Kirk Cousins would probably win a Super Bowl, uh, maybe. All right, um, I'm going to get to my picks a little bit later, so I, it's a good time to mention I was 11-4 and four against the spread last week and the week before. So two straight weeks, that's the combined total, 22-8. and eight. And last week was a really tough slate of games to pick because 
the Thanksgiving games are always wonky and everything else is always weird. So 22 and eight in my last two weeks against the spread is actually pretty good. So I'm feeling it. A couple other points before I wanted to get back to my top 10, because I'm going to continue doing the top 10 every week until the playoffs. Um, so let's let's get into that in a second. But before that, look, the Philadelphia Eagles should be better than they are. And I don't know how good that division is. Right now, it looks like the football team and the Eagles and the Cowboys could all win the division still. And the Giants won last week. So who knows? Maybe we loop them back in. Um, but I think the Eagles... The fact that they weren't that good last week, last year, a lot happened. A lot went really bad. Carson Wentz absolutely fell apart. And now Jalen Hurts looked like he could be the answer. Like on that last drive of the game, he could have thrown a few game-winning touchdowns that were dropped. And so you look at that and you're like, oh, okay, Hurts is not that bad. And maybe he's not the issue. And the rest of the team is a team that's not that far removed from a Super Bowl. I talked about this last year. How do we see a team fall off that bad? Sometimes it just happens where... Things just, you have the year from hell, and maybe the Eagles are better than we think because they were never as bad as we thought they were. And that's where narratives happen, and narratives create that situation. And it's creating that situation, it's created at least earlier in the year with Carson Wentz, no longer an Eagle, but now he plays for Frank Reich uh, and the Indianapolis Colts. Carson Wentz um, has had some of the worst fumbles and worst interceptions that you see. And then you look at him and he's like, oh my God, this is the guy with the best interception rate in the league. This guy doesn't throw picks ever. Like, that's unbelievable. It's just a perception that we have. The perception that we have paints how we look at sports, how we look at everything in life is a perception. And it's sometimes it's not the actual reality of things. And so when you look at a guy like Carson Wentz, they could be the team that comes out of the AFC South because, I don't know, the Titans, are they really that good without Derrick Henry? I don't know. I don't think so. And so you look at the teams in that division and maybe they come out and Carson Wentz and that team that we talked about at the beginning of the year that everyone talked about, wow, this team could be really good. They, they just had some bad losses. They just had some bad losses. They have another one of those bad losses this week, but that's against another great team. I think this team could actually be really good. And maybe Carson Wentz is not as bad as we think, although the optics at times don't look great. The narrative creates that. And I think maybe he still could be and could continue to grow and become that great quarterback that we saw really have an MVP like season for 11 weeks a few years ago, the year they won the Super Bowl. The last point I wanted to talk about, because the last time I was on here, I talked about the unknown of the MVP, and we have no idea who should win the NFL MVP. It should be Aaron Rodgers. That's the answer. After 12 weeks or whatever it's been, the NFL MVP should be Aaron Rodgers, and end of story. that It shouldn't be anyone else. And the fact that it's not Aaron Rodgers is because of one reason and one reason only. It's a narrative thing. It's because he lied about the vaccine, and that's the only reason. And look, he shouldn't lie about the vaccine. It's a terrible thing to do. It's It could potentially kill someone, right? And obviously, we don't know about if the vaccines are flawless, any of that. No one's saying that. I'm not saying that. The point is that you could go to an extra measure to protect people if you think it can protect people, or you don't. It's your decision. Go have the vaccine. Don't take the vaccine. I don't care. But the point is, don't lie about it. Don't tell people that you're vaccinated when you're not. Don't tell people. Like, just be honest about it. And that way, you can stick to the protocols, keep everyone health and safety, and do your part. Don't say, I'm immunized. Like, and it was actually really funny. I think it was Joe Buck who said that, uh, that Aaron Rodgers told him that his foot has been in, immunized to pain, making fun of him. And he's right to make fun of him. Look, the narratives are going to follow Rodgers, the terrible offseason that he had and how he treated the team all offseason. He might not show up to play. He wants to get traded. He wants to be out. It was just awful. The optics for Rodgers look terrible and the narratives surrounding him are terrible. And that's why he won't win MVP. But he is the MVP of the league right now. And I don't think that can be argued. Okay, last thing before I pick the games. I said I'd give you my top 10. So here it is. 
Number 10, I have the Tennessee Titans. Look, if they have Derrick Henry, if he comes back at any point, they will be a really good team and probably the best team, definitely the best team in their division. I still don't love the Colts. I still can't totally trust Carson Wentz, even though I said he might not be as bad as we initially thought. I still don't totally trust him. And so therefore, I have to go with the Tennessee Titans. And so if they get Derrick Henry back, they could be even better. And so they are number 10. Number nine, the Dallas Cowboys. Yes, they've fallen off significantly from where I had them a couple weeks ago. And they looked pretty good against a team that I thought was lifeless and a team that I thought wasn't going to win. And tonight is going to go a long way. If they can win tonight, that will go a long way to securing my confidence in the Cowboys. Number eight is the LA Rams. I'm still not totally out on them. I don't think they were fully healthy. It was a really bad month. They were obviously, you could see the memes going around that they had a worse record uh, in November than the Detroit Lions, which is just funny. But I don't think the Rams are that bad. So I have them at number eight. Again, seven teams better than them. Number seven is the Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens are eight and three. The best seed right now in the uh, AFC. And so if you look at the Baltimore Ravens, you say, hey, look, they've been really good. They're still winning games. Look, I work with a lot of Ravens fans um, and in the market, obviously, all the Ravens sports talk. And everyone just says, hey, we're winning. Hey, we're winning. We're getting it done. We're finding a way. Look, finding a way is definitely something that you could look to a team and say, that's really impressive. They find a way no matter what. They persevere. They, they get it done. That's something that you you value in a team. That's something that you really like. But at the same time, you shouldn't have to always be finding a way. You should also have some wins where you're like, wow, that was a really good win. We just beat the crap out of a really good team. Um, I don't want to have a little E next to my podcast. Sorry. Um, And so sometimes you want to have those games. The Ravens really haven't had those games. And it seems like it's Lamar Jackson who's holding them back. Look, Baker Mayfield was so bad on Sunday night. And they, they should have blown them out. The Ravens should have absolutely killed them. And right now, the best player on the Ravens by far is Justin Tuck. And there's not really uh, Justin Tucker, or sorry, the kicker. And there's not really anyone close to him. Number six is the Buffalo Bills. I know they looked a little better last year, last week, but um, I still don't fully buy them. We'll see what they do against the Patriots this week. And number five, I have the Patriots. I think the Patriots are better than the Bills at this point. Look, Bill Belichick, he's done it again. Mac Jones looks like the real deal. The defense is absolutely insane. They fully bought in. Teams are scared of them. Teams are scared to play them. They just beat the Titans. Again, it's Bill Belichick. We can't count him out ever. It's back to the point that it was for years in the AFC East where it's just like, oh my God, here we go again. And I think the Patriots might beat the Bills this week. I'm picking them. Spoiler alert for my picks later. And I think they are better than the Bills. They are the number five team on my list in the NFL. Number four, I have the Kansas City Chiefs. Just by virtue of not playing last week, they didn't lose. And the last couple of weeks, we saw them start to get back to who they are. Maybe Andy Reid coming off a bye, this will start to look really good for them. Maybe they really get something to click on their offense. Their defense has looked like it's played better. We know they have the championship pedigree. They have the guys who have done it in the past. Maybe Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, after the injury, can come back and stop fumbling the football, and they will be a better team than we saw in the past. That would be really fun. And I do think the Patriots, or sorry, the Chiefs, can be fully back to the Chiefs that we saw, the Evil Empire, a couple years ago and really be a Super Bowl contender in the NFL, and especially in the AFC Conference. Number three, I have the Cardinals. The Arizona Cardinals, like I said, they could be the best team in football, maybe, maybe not, but we haven't seen Kyler in a while. I do want to see at least one or two healthy weeks from Kyler Murray, and then we can reassess, but so far, even without Kyler, they've looked like a really good football team. They only lost one game without him, went two-on-one without Kyler Murray, And with him, they've been incredible. Their only loss was against the Packers in that crazy game, that interception at the end. Number two, I have the Bucs. Look, I said this earlier in the podcast, uh, both Bucs, the NBA Bucs and the NFL Bucs won a championship last year and are probably better this year. So Tom Brady sometimes still looks like he's 44, which makes sense. He is 44. 
Um, so sometimes he's starting to look like he's 44, but the team as a whole is really talented. I think the offense has not been as good without Antonio Brown. I think he adds another level. He's really, really good. It turns out, it turns out Antonio Brown's one of the best receivers the league's ever seen. I don't know when he comes back, but I think when he does come back with him and playoff Lenny and what Leonard Fournette did last week, absolutely not normal. Great. I get a big win in fantasy football just when I needed it right No, I'm really far out of it at this point. So kind of sucks, but the Bucks don't suck. And I think they're the number two team in the NFL. And number one, the only team that I think is a really, really good team in the NFL is the Green Bay Packers. Look, Aaron Rodgers is on an FU tour. He wants to shut everyone up. He wants to win MVP. He wants to prove the haters wrong. And he wants to get the hell out of Green Bay. And he wants to do it with a championship. And I think he's determined. I don't think anyone can stop him. I think this team will go to the Super Bowl. And if you ask me today who the best team in the NFL is, it is the Green Bay Packers. Picks. It starts, as always, with Thursday Night Football. Thursday Night Football Week 13 tonight is the Dallas Cowboys at the New Orleans Saints. The New Orleans Saints look absolutely awful. And we know Taysom Hill is going to get the start this week, and as he should, because that team actually stayed in it for a long time last week. These are two teams who played on Thursday last week, so they don't get the extra rest of coming off a Thursday game because they're playing on Thursday night again. Dallas Cowboys are minus four and a half, and the way the Dallas Cowboys offense looked last week, you gotta have you kind of have to take them because they looked really good. The defense and really the penalties just couldn't stop uh uh Derek Carr and the Raiders. So I'm going to go with the Dallas Cowboys minus four and a half. The next game is the Sunday games. It's the Buccaneers who are minus 10 and a half against the Falcons. Again, I talked about huge numbers. The Falcons offense randomly just looks like an offense that's really capable of doing well. So I'm going to go with the Falcons plus 10 and a half. Take the points. I still think the Bucs will win that game. The next game is the Cardinals against the Bears. That's at Chicago. And like I said, the Cardinals have their stars back. They're minus seven and a half. And I'm taking the Cardinals. Nine and two Cardinals. I think they're one of the best teams in football this year. And I think they'll prove it on the road against the Bears and absolutely crush them with their new stars back. Next, I have the Bengals at home against the Chargers. Minus three and a half for the Bengals. I'm going to take the Bengals. Like I said, it's been iffy all year with the Chargers. So I'm just taking the home team at this point. Really, if you get three points for being the home team, this should be a half point spread for the Bengals. And that's what I think it should be. Like, this is a pick This is a toss-up for me. I'm taking the Bengals, even though they have the number, because I don't love what I've seen from the Chargers recently. Really, since that Baltimore game, they haven't looked like a great team. Now, this is another one o'clock game, so I don't like betting this game at all because one o'clock Kirk Cousins, like I said, is one of the best quarterbacks ever, but they're against the Lions. It's minus seven and a half. The Lions have actually been pretty good against the spread recently, so I'm going to take the Lions and the points, um, but I don't love that pick. The Dolphins, a team I didn't mention, they could actually work their way back into the playoff picture and people could start talking about them as a playoff team. They're at home against the Giants, who I think are really bad. It's minus two and a half. I think I'm going to take the Dolphins in that game. I don't think the Giants are good at all. And I think, uh, obviously, I don't think Daniel Jones is playing. Not that that really makes a difference, but minus two and a half is a small enough number. I will take the Dolphins in that game. The Eagles are at the Jets. And like I said, I don't think the Eagles are as bad as we thought they were. And the Jets, by the way, Jets and Giants, shout out. They both won last week. Good for them. Not really. Um, but I'm going to take the Eagles minus six and a half on the road against the Jets. Pretty self-explanatory. I think Jalen Hurts was not that bad. And I think the Jets are really bad. The Colts are in are in Houston. They are minus nine and a half. Houston lost to the Jets last week. That's how bad they are. Isn't it funny that Houston and the Jets both beat Tennessee? So if you're thinking, hey, Tennessee is actually pretty good. They just don't have Derrick Henry right now. Maybe Tennessee is really bad. Who knows? Like I said, the league is a total crapshoot this year. Um, Indianapolis Colts are minus nine and a half, and I think they're on the up, and I'm going to take the Indian Indianapolis Colts even with the big number. 
The Las Vegas Raiders are home for the Washington football team, and I think the Washington football team will actually win that game. I don't think the Raiders are that good. They got helped out with a bunch of penalties. They just threw it up, and the refs were flag-happy on Thanksgiving. They wanted to be on TV on the national holiday that everyone gets to see them on national TV across the country. Um, The Raiders are minus 2.5. I'm going to take Washington. Not that I think they're that great. It's kind of funny. They beat Seattle, obviously. Seattle stinks, but... That's uh, for another co- another topic for another time. When we get to the draft, we'll talk about how the Jets have back-to-back picks in the top five thanks to Seattle. All right, the Los Angeles Rams are home minus 13.5 against the Jaguars. Look, I still think the Jaguars stink. I say this every week. You expect Trevor Lawrence to just have that week where he breaks out, but the Rams have not looked good. I think we heard about the injuries that um, Matthew Stafford has. I told you the Rams are going to come back and be better than they were. They're minus 13.5 at home, but I'm still going to take the Jaguars and plus the points, and maybe they'll cover. I still think the Rams should obviously win this game. Pittsburgh and Baltimore, I, I look, I don't want to take Pittsburgh. I think Ben Roethlisberger has been so awful. I don't think you could pick him in any game, but at the same time, the way I saw Baltimore play last week, I don't think you could take them either. I think against any other team, they would have lost, but Baker was just so bad. You know, the Ravens were begging the Browns to win that game, and the Browns couldn't win it. I'm going to take the Steelers plus three and a half. I think the Baltimore Ravens will win by only three. So it's it's close. It's tough. But I think Justin Tucker will pull out a win for them by their two or three at the end of the game. And I don't think they'll win by a full four points. So that's why I'm taking the Steelers. I still don't think the Steelers will beat them, but I think they'll keep it close. That half a point is the difference for me here. San Francisco is at Seattle. Seattle is plus three and a half. San Francisco minus three and a half on the road. And I'm going to take San Francisco. Like I said, I really think that the Seattle Seahawks stink. The Chiefs are home for the Broncos. The Broncos just came off a win. It's minus nine and a half. So a big number. A lot of people, 60% of people taking the Broncos. I'm taking the Chiefs. Look, if I'm going to say the Chiefs are one of the best teams in the league, like I said, on my top 10, I got to ride with them. Sunday night at home, they're going to win. They're taking home the dub and they're going to blow out the Broncos. Minus nine and a half. I'm taking the Chiefs. They'll win by 10 or more. And Monday night football, the Buffalo Bills are hosting the New England Patriots. I think it's going to be an awesome game for the AFC um, AFC East, AFC East uh, division crown as of right now, eight and four New England, seven and four Buffalo. And I think New England wins it. They're plus two and a half. I'm going to take the points, going to take the number, and I'm going to take New England straight up to beat the Buffalo Bills on the road. Those are my NFL picks. Now, I said I wanted to talk about hockey. Like I said, my new background behind me, Johnny Lazarus inspired. Um, I got Chris Kreider hanging there. And Look, the reason I'm talking about it is because the Rangers have been so so much fun to watch. Like, I just look forward every night. They hadn't played for a few games because one of the Islander games got canceled because they had COVID. And I was missing them every single night. They're so much fun to watch. It's a different guy stepping up. And the thing about the Rangers, their biggest issue right now is they don't have a backup goalie. And I think they should bring up Kincaid to be the backup goalie. But Igor Shesterkin has looked like one of the best goalies in the league. He doesn't do shutouts. It's just not his thing. So if your you know, goal percent, goal allowed percentage is not looking that great, watch him for a game and see what he can do. What he did last night for the stretch when he lost his stick and he takes Truba's stick and then Truba takes the forward stick and he's standing on his head, keeping the Rangers in games. It's absolutely unbelievable what the guy can do. And here's the thing. If the Rangers sneak into the playoffs, I don't want Mika Zibanejad to get hot yet because the team has been playing extremely well. I want Mika Zibanejad to get hot when they need him. He's going to get hot at some point. When he gets hot, he's absolutely unstoppable. We remember the stretch that he had when he had the five goals against Washington, the games that he had against Philly last year with the two hat tricks. We know how good he can be when he gets hot. So 
save it for when the Rangers really need you because they'll go through a tough stretch. That's normal. But um, right now, same as basketball, quarter quarter mark of the season, the Rangers look really good. Maybe they are legit. Maybe they are a really good team. Chris Kreider, 16 goals in 20 games or 21 games. He's been the third leading goal scorer in the league. That's something you don't see. He's behind Leon Dreisaitl, who obviously plays on the line with Connor McDavid, and the great Alex Ovechkin so far for goals in this league. He's my favorite player, like I said, jersey behind me. But he's so much fun to watch. And so the Rangers, I look forward to them. It's appointment television every time they play. So keep it up. Let's go Rangers. That's all for the podcast. Until next time, see ya. Can't go.